So we kind of expected a red wave, but it was a little more like a uh, like a soft <laughs> nod. Yeah, kind of just like, hey, what's up? How's it going? How y'all doing? This is What's on Tap. From the GBH Newsroom in Boston, I'm Paris Alston. And I'm Jeremy Siegel. It is results day. Nationally, Republicans look like they could take the House, but total control of Congress is still up in the air. Here in Massachusetts, as we said, maybe it wasn't quite a red wave. We don't know exactly kind of what you would call of the a red opposite. wave here. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What do you <laughs> think, Jerry? Blue hug, maybe? <laughs> to break down sure. the latest results and the uh, proper terminology we should use to break down the results is GBH State House reporter Katie Lannon. Katie, blue hug. You like that? Um, we can go with it. <laughs> okay, so you don't like love it. it. <laughs> you're you're not hugging it. the blue hug. Okay. <laughs> so let's start with uh, the, the big one last night. Uh, Maura Healy. Decisive victory there. Clinching yeah. the governor's race. Uh, r- race was called almost as soon as polls closed. And she's on track now to be the state's first openly gay governor, the first woman elected governor in Massachusetts. And she and her running mate, uh, Lieutenant Governor-elect Kim Driscoll, are one of two uh, all-women executive teams elected last night. That's another national first. Wow, that is amazing. I didn't realize that they, were, that they weren't the only ones, right? This was sort of a trend we saw nationwide as well. Uh, and you, as you mentioned, she is the first openly gay governor elected in Massachusetts, also the first lesbian governor elected in the country. And during her speech last night, she took an opportunity to speak directly to future generations. I want to say yeah. something to every little girl and every young LGBTQ person out there. I hope tonight shows you that you can be whatever, whoever you want to be. So, Katie, what's your takeaway from that piece of this big win? Yeah, I mean, I do think that it is a barrier breaking moment nationally and here in Massachusetts. And it's something that, you know, I think Healy has during her campaign not overly played up any one part of her identity, perhaps the fact, other than the fact that she's a basketball player, lots of basketball metaphors yeah. on the yeah. you know, trail. There, in one uh, of her ads, there were like basketballs flying everywhere, yeah. like one person to the next, right? Yeah, she took a moment in her speech to to thank all the ballers out there she had learned from along the way. And I think it does say something that, you know, I think even though this was such a history-making election for a lot of people, it seemed fairly routine. And she that was an emotional moment in the speech when she set out that that kind of message to younger generations beyond like the message of the outcome of the election what practically is it going to mean for the commonwealth like policy wise what do you think a a healy administration and also the other people elected up and down the ticket is going to mean that's a really great question, and it's one I think a lot of us who cover the state house are really looking to unwind after a, a campaign that was shy on policy details. Um, there, she has does have some ambitious goals that she reiterated last night, from cutting taxes to fighting climate change, to protecting reproductive rights, uh, to investing in schools and fixing roads and bridges. But the specific plans will will need to wait probably till the Healy administration takes office to find out it can be tricky for 
Democrats to get their agenda through in a Democrat-controlled uh, legislature, uh, not in a way you wouldn't necessarily expect, mm-hmm. as ma- div- divisions in Massachusetts are often among the more progressive and more moderate wing of the Democratic Party. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, Healy has good relationships with the legislature so far, how those relationships last. She and Kim Driscoll are planning to meet today with Governor Baker to start talking about transition. And we'll start seeing over the next few days and weeks who she's appointing to key roles, which could give a clue of where she plans to to take her administration. Mm-hmm. And Aaron, um, Katie, I'm thinking about Erin O'Brien, who we, we spoke with earlier, um, just because she was pointing out that it, it can sometimes be different, right, when you're a first or when you're an anomaly, right? If you look back on the history of Massachusetts governors um, and standing out as one of two women who are on that roster. And and Erin spoke with us a little bit about those challenges um, and how they can be unique to folks like women or people of color when selected office. Oftentimes governors or presidents get 100 days people of color, women, they get about 30 days. So yes, Massachusetts can elect this woman and do so overwhelmingly, but she doesn't get the 100 days grace period. She's more apt to be called out. And I want to be mindful here, Katie, too, is like we don't necessarily ask this question, right, when men are elected to office about how people are going to treat them, what are the unique challenges they're going to face. But we also know uh, that as we've seen women take leadership across the state uh, here in Boston with Mayor Michelle Wu, or I'm also thinking about Katiana Valentine in Somerville as the mayor there, that sometimes these things do come up. Um, so do you I mean, I guess, how are you thinking about that? And, and is there going to be some extra pressure on her in this role? That's a really interesting question. I think you're you're right to raise it that there will, you know, a, a woman candidate, a woman governor elect, and a, a gay governor elect might be viewed differently, might be held to different standards. I think one thing that is in her favor here is many people in the legislature are very excited about a, a governor Healy and will be you know, maybe not applying the same pressure because of that, that they might, if it were, if we saw a Republican, if we saw Jeff Deal planning to take office in January, they'll be, they might be willing to give her more the benefit of the doubt because they know more of where she stands ideologically. Uh, So from that end, rather than the political one, I think it'll be a, maybe a slightly different calculus. Katie, before we let you go, I want to uh, talk about ballot questions because I have a bone to pick with you. Yesterday, you said we'd be getting all the results last (laughs) night and we're still counting the ballot measure vote this morning but actually it's interesting while we've been talking like just in the past couple of minutes we got the uh latest numbers on ballot measures so question one which is the millionaire's tax uh still undecided though is leaning towards yes question two uh was decided first that was the first one that came in this was with dental insurance um mm-hmm. that is looks like it, it it has passed um and now um we are seeing that um, the no has won on ballot measure three, which wasn't called earlier. 55% of people saying no, 45% yes. And then ballot question four, which is um, about undocumented immigrants being able to get uh, driver's licenses in Massachusetts. That has not been called yet. I know we only have two of the final results in here, but what are you making of the way people voted on ballot questions in Massachusetts last night? 
Well, first I'll say you two are clearly up much earlier than me to have updated ballot question <laughs> results. Um, and I do think it's interesting that the two that are decided more quickly are the kind of weedy industry battle ones. Yeah, the ones where it's like, what does this actually mean? <laughs> yeah, which in a way for a lot of folks in their day-to-day life might seem to have smaller stakes. Um, and the, the two big questions outstanding are ones that, you know, it's possible, probably hard to poll because the ad and the rhetoric around them are so strong that people might be changing their minds. People might have feelings they don't want to get into with the pollster. So it will be interesting to see where those land. And I think I did say that they should be in should. Tuesday okay. night. They were projected to be in. Always but... careful as a journalist. GVH <laughs> State House reporter Katie Lannon. We didn't get a, a red wave last night, but we'll wave goodbye to you over Zoom here. See you later. Thanks <laughs> Thank so much, you. Katie. Yeah. Well, Thanks. one thanks. Well, speaking of red, this was not on the ballot yesterday, but the city of Cambridge is considering making a right on red permanently illegal. Yes. Well, actually, they voted to do they it. They voted the council to voted do this so. week to do Seven it. Seven to yeah. two. Yes, that is correct. So Cambridge already prohibits doing this at more than 70% of all its intersections. Um, but now this is looking, they voted to study making a sweeping ban across the city. Uh, yes. So, yeah, we're headed in the direction. We are headed, on the path. Okay, we are okay. making a right, not on red. So not a ton <laughs> of places have done this, but there are uh, a few who have. Ann Arbor, Michigan just voted to do this recently. New York City has had this ban in place for a long time. You and I were actually talking earlier about going on trips to New York yes. and getting there, like, I, trying to turn right or be like, oh. It's like, so we have the most random things in common sometimes, Jeremy. It cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, like, one time, I remember the first time my family drove up to New York City, because uh, you can make a right in red in North Carolina. It's a couple yeah. places you'll see a sign where you can't mm-hmm. do that, but I remember uh, we got pulled over, and we, we were all just taken away by the New York accent um, from the officer there, because he was like, you can't make a right on red anywhere <laughs> in this city. It was quite, it was very interesting there. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, something to be mindful of and of course this is really pertinent for places that have a lot of traffic some of us may be guilty of sort of creeping on that right hand turn and not always looking over to see if there's a cyclist or a pedestrian yeah and this is obviously yeah aimed at reducing uh traffic accidents i mean interesting that it comes as like places that are embracing bike lanes much more and just more people are biking because it is scary when i mean if you're on a bike which i i don't bike a ton around here but like when you stop at a red light a lot of the time if you do look in your rearview mirror you'll see that a biker is coming through mm-hmm. and i mean you can totally see how stopping um at all red lights would be safer probably for everybody 100%. So, a little bit of history for you today. It marks the 150th anniversary of the Great Boston Fire of 1872. But I was just fire ever in the in the city starting at Summer Street, proceeding to burn 776 buildings across downtown in the financial district. Wild the destruction fires could have mm-hmm. that long ago. Yeah, the assessed value of the damaged properties at that time was about $13.5 million, which considering the time period was quite a lot of bit of money. Um, the fire also killed 30 people, including 12 firefighters. This evening at the Boston Public Library in Copley Square, author Stephanie Schur is going to be giving a talk about it. And tomorrow, our friend Anthony Samarco is going to be talking about it, thanks to a book that he wrote that's going to be at 7 o'clock at the GAR Hall in Situate.
As for today, a couple other things happening at noon. It is the Davis Square Farmer's Market, and then 7.30 tonight, Celtics are hosting the Pistons at the Garden. That's what's on tap for Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. I'm Jeremy Siegel. And I'm Paris Alston. This is GBH News. GBH. 